Hello everyone. This is Kimberly Bonner with Business Scale Insights. I'm so pleased that you're spending time with me today. And honestly, I want to take a moment and say just thank you and express my sincere gratitude. Time is the most precious commodity that we all have. And to 2017 has made that very clear to me. So I really, really want to express my heart to you. Thank you for spending time with me and listening to this podcast. Today, I'm extraordinarily thrilled, elated, you know, fill in the blank with another wonderful word. I'm excited beyond belief to be interviewing none other than Les McCune, the author of Predictable Success. If you don't know Les McCune, he's the author of the book that I've been reviewing for the past several weeks. Uh, he advises CEOs and senior leaders of organizations on how to achieve scalable, sustainable growth and speaks to Fortune 500 companies. Um, this interview is a shock. It's a surprise. Uh, keep your fingers and toes crossed. Hopefully we won't have any technical difficulty. But um, just to be clear, I didn't reach out to Les McCune. He reached out to me as a, as a result of this podcast. And if this interview is a testament to anything, it is, the, it is really about the power of podcasting, uh, the power of putting out value, the power of putting out content, even if it's, you know, a great book that you think it's is wonderful and it's not necessarily your own book, but sharing that and giving credit to the author. It's just it's just a testament to all of that. So I'm elated, I'm excited, I am overjoyed, I'm over the moon, and hopefully, again, fingers and toes crossed, there'll be no technical difficulties, and we will be talking uh, and having this interview in less than 20 minutes. So come back in about 20 minutes, and I'll be interviewing none other than Les McCune. Can you believe it? Oh my God! Hello. Hi, this is Les. Great. It worked. We are officially recording on the Anchor podcast app. So let me, let me introduce you to everyone, just in case they don't know. I am uh, interviewing, I have the honor of interviewing the world-renowned Les McCune, author of Predictable Success and several other books. Uh, Les is just an icon in the area of business development and leadership, and I have him on the phone. He's agreed to actually do an interview on Anchor, and I just couldn't be pleased, more pleased. I'm pleased as punch. So I want to use his time wisely. We have a short period of time. I've got a few questions that I want to ask you, Les, and you can take as long as you want to to answer them. The first one is really why are so few businesses operating in predictable success? That's what it looks like to me, the businesses that I observe, the ones that come to me uh, for help in developing into franchise systems. So why do you think that is? Well, hi, Kim. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on board. It's a great question, uh, Kim. The short answer is that it's hard. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of hard work involved in getting into predictable success coming out of Whitewater into predictable success, um, as you know, Kim, comes after typically a, a, a often a relatively lengthy period when everything sort of went very well. We were in fun. We were having fun. We were 
doing great things. Almost everything we touched seemed to turn, turn to gold. And then you hit this terrible whitewater phase and it suddenly becomes really hard work. And often leaders are bewildered. And what they intuitively uh, try to do is to turn backwards to fun because, hey, it all worked right back then, right? Um, so let's, let's try to go back. Let's try to regain what we had. But the problem is that the degree of complexity in the business is such that, as uh, my good friend Marshall Goldsmith said in the title of one of his best books, what got you here won't get you there. You can't go back and use the toolkit, the mindset, the, the, the way that you showed up in front to push through Whitewater. You've got to really, in a sense, um, rejig the whole business. And it's a little bit like trying to mend a 747 airliner while it's in the air, you know, because you can't pull your business into the garage for a couple of months while you fix it. You've got to keep doing business. So it's, it's tough is the short answer. The, the slightly more complicated, deeper answer that underpins all of that is um, why most businesses don't make it into predictable success is because the founder owners don't make the mind shift change that's required. And that's essentially what I was talking about in terms of the natural desire to go back into fun. Um, what I see is that during fun, the groups of people that are managing the business uh, typically comprise a one sort of dominant visionary whose idea was in the first place a uh, high risk taker, you know, uh, lives at 30,000 feet, not, doesn't really sweat the details, but has got a couple of what we call operators, hard charging people who do all of that. And they've got used to really making decisions short, sharp, quick. Uh, you know, a board meeting is a ride up in the elevator. We, we just, you know, make decisions on the spur <laughs> and we, we implement them on the spur. And that all dies in white water. You can't do that anymore because the business is too complex. You don't to, to put it in a straightforward way, you don't have the, enough information in the elevator to make a good decision. And making the mind shift to just slow down the decision-making process so that we can get back to implementing fast is a big mind shift, and a lot of uh, visionary business owners find that really tough. That's really interesting that you're talking about the mind shift and the instinct to go back to fun because I, I agree, and when people are talking about um, scaling on a on a big on a big level, and they want to move into franchising, that's one of the things that I have to have a serious conversation with them about. Because you're talking about right. developing a completely different business, and there takes it requires a completely different mindset. And some some prospects and clients look at me like, oh, happy, happy, joy, joy, and then others are, you know absolutely petrified. If you can't, if, if people can't make that mind shift, is it just that they just go back to fun and they just, the, 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 the organization just stays in fun and there's not much of a legacy that is established if they can never make that mind shift or, you know, and they, they can live happily ever after in the fun stage. What's been your experience? Yeah, there's not, one of the things that I try to, um, uh, indicate to folks is that first of all, there are only two stages in the life cycle that you want to be in, either fun or predictable success, as you well know. Um, those are the only two valid long-term options. And what I tell people all the time is there's absolutely no reason why you have to go to predictable success. In fact, there are a ton of reasons not to. The only reason you want to go to predictable success is if you want, seriously want to scale. 
if you want to be able to grow to any size, your industry will let you grow, which is basically the definition of scaling. If you don't want any cap in your growth, then you've got to do the hard work and get to predictable success. But that's not an imperative. You don't have to do that. It's perfectly fine to stay in fun. I mean, I've been in fun now for, I think I'm going into my 17th year, and I'm resolutely <laughs> staying in fun. I'm not going to build a, you know, a massive com- consulting practice. I've done that before. Um, excuse me. And I don't want to go back and do it again. I'm staying in fun. But you've got to make the choice. That's the thing. So what often happens is I'm talking with a group of people. Um, I was with a YPO just, just literally yesterday up in Long Island. Uh, and I've got a room full of 70 people. All of them have their business in Whitewater. And I said to them, you know, probably for half of you, the right answer is, to actually go back to fun and stay there. Have a life cycle business that you genuinely enjoy. You can generate a lot of excess cash. You can have a really good lifestyle business. But what you've got to do is accept that there will always be a cap on the degree to which you can grow. And you need to roll with that. If you want to scale, then do the hard work. So, yes, that's one option, which is to go back to fun. And many founder owners take that and are then perfectly happy. And I always love it when I've been able to show them that this is a choice to make and go do it. Uh, sometimes it's the time, uh, right time for a founder owner to recognize that, yeah, they do want to scale. They want to get the business into projectable success, but they're not the right one to do it. And this right. is sometimes the case when a founder owner will step aside and uh, become, you know, like chairman emeritus or the title of founder or chief visionary officer and bring in a professional CEO to manage the business. And the third option is, no, I don't want to go. Yes, this business could go to predictable success, and therefore it's a valuable business. It could really scale, but I don't want to do it. And in fact, I don't want to have anything to do with it happening, so I'm just going to sell. And at that point, we'll sell. So go back to fun, yes. Bring in a professional CEO or sell the business, but make a conscious decision. And don't just get stuck in whitewater hell for the foreseeable future, which sadly by (laughs) default is what happens a lot. I know. Well, I didn't plan on going in this direction, but I think it's important. Um, because my, a lot of my clients and prospects are in fun. So talk to me about how, how can you, as a fun, you're in fun, you're having a blast, is it possible to create an enduring organization or business that leaves a legacy and impact if you stay in fun? Like you with predictable success. I think if you, you're calling yourself in fun, which kind of shocks me, um, but you don't see your business as a legacy brand as an enduring kind of company long after you depart? Well, I'm 61 and um, God helping me, and if the creek don't rise, I'll still be doing this for another decade or so. So I haven't really put my mind to that yet. But in principle, uh, first of all, let me make something quite clear. One of the reasons that I've stayed resolutely in fun is I spend all day, every day, doing one thing, which is help other people get their business into predictable success. That's what I do. Um, I'm, I'm basically, you know, spending all my time uh, helping people grow their own business. And for me, the last thing I want to do when I stop in the evening or weekends is to do the same thing for myself. I need. I need my break from right. that so that I can be as good as I do with everybody else. But anyway, and in terms of ongoing legacy, um, there, are, there, there are two most common options here. One is um, generational. If it's a family business, you can, with good planning, keep the business in fun and hand it down from generation to generation. And why I say with good planning is that if you don't do, if you don't you know, plan to do that, the typical um, dynamic is 
um, first generation takes it to farm, takes it into white water, and whether by accident or um, planning, decides to come back and stay in fun. So uh, let's say, you know, generation one keeps the business in fun. Typically, generation two, when they come into the business, feel a little constrained by this. They feel, um, and I don't, I don't mean it to be gender specific, it could be any way around, but, you know, papa or mama are, are keeping me down, keeping the business down. This business could be so much bigger. And they chafe under the uh, bit a little bit. And then when papa or mama go, um, the, the new kid, generation two, will try to push the business up through whitewater and into predictable success. And sometimes they succeed, sometimes they don't. But what you can do is you can plan a generational business that's just going to stay in fun. Hey, this is who we are. We're a local business. Because often geographical footprint is the primary thing that you carve out to keep yourself in fun. I don't want to be national. I don't even maybe want to be regional, whatever. You, you take a view you're going to be in fun and plan it out from a generational perspective. Uh, and the second thing is selling to your, if you don't have family coming in, is selling to your long-term um, employees. And that tends to have the opposite effect from the generational one, which is it will resolutely spend fun because the long-term employees have stayed voluntarily because that's the environment they like. So they typically don't try this thing of putting their foot in the gas pedal whenever they buy the business because they bought it because they like it the way it is. So those are two legacy things that you can do. But I will uh, admit that your underlying thesis is right, which, that, which is that the majority of businesses in fund die when their founders die. That's, that's the most common thing. Or they get sold at a pittance by the remaining family. <laughs> Unfortunately. Okay, well, I, oh, I know we don't have a lot of time and I, I want to make sure that I ask you a couple of questions about innovation and predictable success because this yeah. has been my sweet spot. I cut my teeth in the dot-com era as an IP attorney, Amazon, everything. It just the bottom line is with whether it's apps and mobile commerce and now we're moving into v-commerce and just the way in which um, we're reaching the consumer and the consumer is getting information it's just changing, it seems like, every single day, not just every couple of months or every year. It's changing daily. So with this accelerated pace of change, do you think it's, it's possible for a company um, that wants to stay on top of innovation, do you think it's possible for them to stay in predictable success for any length of time? Uh yeah, I not only think it, I know it because I work with many organizations who have done that. Um, and the answer to it takes us deep into the book to, to parts in the nether regions of the book, Predictable Success, that few people get to. Um, everybody loves the first half of the book because of the cute anecdotal stories and, and so on and so forth. And then they get to the second half of the book and there are complicated diagrams and hard work involved and, and very few people work their way through there. But at the back of the book, we start with something that we call the predictable success scalability matrix. And it's a group of 13 separate, what we call imperatives, things that you absolutely have to do if you're going to get to and stay in predictable success. And in those, included in those 13 imperatives, uh, there are six that you need to work on to get into predictable success. There are six with, with an overlap um, of one that you need to work on to prevent yourself from going, falling into treadmill. And there are two that lock the business into predictable success. And the one right at the top of the graphic is innovation. 
and specifically institutionalizing innovation. That's the key. What happens is in growing businesses come up through Pond Whitewater, even in early predictable success. And by the way, something for your readers, those of them who follow uh, the model of predictable success, here's a, here's a little secret that didn't get it into the book just because of editing. All of the seven stages have got three distinct sub-stages, early, middle, and late. And there are very distinct differences in each of them. So early predictable success, for example, is different in some significant ways from middle predictable success, which is in turn different in many significant ways from late predictable success. And I'll, let me tell you one of them. Even in early predictable success, innovation in the organization is typically personified. There's one or more people, there are one or more people, who personify the ability of the organization to innovate. Most often it's the visionary founder, not always, but most often it's the visionary founder. Sometimes it's the visionary founder and maybe one other person with some secret sauce, like the world's best coder or somebody who just could make the best um, fajitas that you've ever tasted. But whatever, wherever innovation is needed, it's typically personified. The key, in fact, I teach um, my, the CEOs that I coach, not just the key goal that you have, the primary goal that you have if, when, once you've got your business into predictable success is to institutionalize innovation. It must not walk out the door with any one or two employees. It's got to be a muscle that the organization has learned a core, not just cultural skill set, but an actual real skill set. And let me give you a good example. Though it doesn't seem so on the, on the uh, surface, let's look at Apple. Everybody thinks about Steve Jobs as far as Apple is concerned. And it's true that in his first incarnation with Apple before John Scully got the board to fire him, Jobs was the absolute personification of innovation with Apple, and that's why it did so badly when he left, and then he comes back as the savior. Obviously, when he arrives, he comes back in again as the personification of innovation. But one of the things that we're looking at real time, literally we're watching it right now, is the degree to which he institutionalized innovation. Although he kept for himself the forward-facing sort of uh, PR-based uh, a marketing uh, avatar of being this fantastically innovative person, which he clearly was. I believe he worked his butt off institutionalizing innovation in Apple. We'll see probably over the next 12 to 18 months. But to get somebody like Tim Cook, who's an engineer, sensory processor, <laughs> get Johnny Ives, get Eddie Q, you know, to drive innovation deep into the organization, that's every predictable success CEO's key role. And um, I'll give you one more example, then we'll move on from the topic. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, personally, this is a personal opinion, I'm not giving any investment advice. Don't anybody tell me that they did what I'm about to say. I would not buy Google stock, because I, I think that completely, the two key guys there have completely and utterly failed to, in, uh, to institutionalize innovation. I think they're still it, and every time they take their eye off the ball, we see they're still it because nothing happens. You look at Google Graveyard, see how much stuff died. It's because in Google, innovation is still personified and not institutionalized. So institutionalizing innovation, coach, mentor, hire, train, develop innovation as a key skill for the organization, not for a small group of people. And you can, you can send predictable success even in a fast-moving industry. But that is so hard to do. I mean, it's, it it's incredibly hard to, hard to do. That 
takes us all the way back to your first question. Why do so few organizations get into predictable success? And the (laughs) the key reason, Kim, is that for the the person who is the, um, the personification of innovation, that's typically a huge part of their identity and ego. It's, it's such a core part yeah. of who they are that letting go makes them feel vulnerable and not useful. Uh, uh, so it's all like everything. It comes down to the three inches between the two ears of the key person. That's, that's definitely true. And you have to hire like-minded people. And sometimes people don't recognize the importance of that, like creating clones of yourself right. to a certain degree. Um, but anyway, we are we are at 2.31 my time, and I know I promised to get you um, off of this interview by 2.30, and I really, I, again, I respect your time. I know you're a vi- very busy man, so I just want to end the interview right there and just thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I do appreciate your time. You didn't have to do it, and you did, and you just made my, um, you made my October. <laughs> It's my pleasure, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's been an absolute delight. Good luck. Bye-bye.